Frugal is about feeling like you have abundance. You have more than enough. So you don't need to go spend money on things that are unnecessary. You end up spending money on things that actually matter to you. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you'll get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show. Before I get started, let's check in with Cody. What's going on, man? Hey, what's up, Justin? I had a pretty good Easter this past weekend. We made this big ham. We made a green bean casserole. We made an asparagus cheese tart. We made Brussels sprouts and bacon. We had a bunch of Moscow mules. I probably had 5,000 calories yesterday. (laughs) And how about you, man? Well, I've been going like crazy on this van conversion. You know, the finish line has been in sight. And this weekend, I got to take it out kind of for its maiden voyage. You know, we picked a spot that was just close enough to where, you know, with a full tank of gas, we wouldn't have to stop. We didn't have to be around anybody. We could respect the social distancing. And I just got out there checking for rattles, making sure nothing broke and slept out in the van. And it was great, comfy. So I'm pretty proud of it. And then for Easter itself, my girlfriend's mom was nice enough to sent us a little food to the house via Grubhub from a local restaurant. And so that was a really nice treat to someone who, you know, doesn't eat at a lot of restaurants and cooks most of the time. But enough about us and our weekends. Let's take a little pause for one of our partners. Keeping track of your net worth is one of the most important things you can do on your journey to financial independence. If you don't have an idea of what your net worth is, there's no way that you can keep your quote unquote score. One of our favorite tools to keep this score is called personal capital. If you haven't already started using it, it's an online software that basically compiles all of your data, it crunches all your assets, all your liabilities, and spits out a net worth number and allows you to track it day by day, month by month. Yeah, Cody, one of the big things that hold people back when they're doing activities like tracking their expenses or tracking their net worth is just they look at it as a big burden. And this allows you to go in with one username and one password and access as many financial accounts as you have. These can be loans, these can be 401ks, these can be HSAs, bank accounts, credit cards, They're all linked there. The other thing I really like about personal capital is it's very investing focused. So you can go in there and look at your allocation across your entire portfolio. So you don't just look at your allocation in one type of account, but your allocation as a person completely. And if you want to use the same tool that me and Cody use to track our net worth, which is completely free, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash PC. That's thefyshow.com slash PC. Well, Cody, we were talking about stuff in our faces and all this food we had. And unfortunately, this story does not start out this way. It starts out with Gina laying there with nothing to eat in the house by herself. You know, she's been left there 19 years old. She's got a child. She has no money. Her her husband at the time has taken her keys, her credit cards, everything. And she's just got nothing but a jar of pickles. But in this episode, we get to unwrap how she brushed herself off and really made an inspiring turnaround And now she's well on her way to financial independence. But we don't want to take her whole story away. Take it away, Gina. This thing, which I like to call my jar of pickles moment, actually started when I was 19. I was newly married, pregnant, and totally broke. My then husband actually had taken my car, my credit cards, my phone. I had no cash on me, nothing. And it was 3.45 in the afternoon and I pretty much had no food. And so I went into my refrigerator thinking, you know, I'm just going to have to eat whatever's in there. And all that was in there was this jar of pickles. So basically I'm like, okay, well, I have two choices. I either don't eat 
or I eat this jar of pickles. So, of course, 19-year-old self said, jar of pickles, we're going we're gonna to do this. So I ate the jar of pickles and later realized, okay, this is not good. Got sick. But basically, out of all of that, I realized I'm sitting on the floor in my living room, pretty much crying my eyes out because I'm hungry at this point, got sick to my stomach. And I'm like, wow, this, this is not the way I want my life to be. This is just such a dark place. And at first, I kept telling myself, I deserve this. I chose to be here. And I started thinking about all of the decisions that I was making, money and life and everything else up until this point, and then just realized, you know what? Okay, so I've made some horrible decisions that have led me here. That doesn't have to be the end of this. Like, I can make better decisions and get myself out of this. And that was kind of like that light bulb moment for me where I, I had my good cry and then I realized I could change this. I have that power. And it was that one moment that I felt like, no, everything can change from right here, right now. And that's, that's really what started everything in my life. To speed it up, I divorced that person. I'm now happily married to like the best man in the world. And I went through this financial problem again, where it was like, okay, I'm starting to make bad decisions again. I'm leading myself into debt. And we got into a ton of debt. We got into over $100,000 of debt. And basically, I couldn't understand why this was happening to me. We were doing well financially as far as like, we had good salaries, we were doing well that way, but we had nothing to show for it. And then I started realizing again, okay, we've made some decisions together collectively to get ourselves into this debt. How do we make better decisions? So it's always been this mind shift of, I have the power in me to make better decisions, to do better in my life. I just need to find that inner hero that's inside of me. That was one of the reasons why I started my blog in the first place was really just helping people find that inner strength inside because we all make mistakes. We all, you know, have bad decisions that we've made, but ultimately you can always change them. And so that's, that's what I've been doing ever since. And we were able to become debt free in 2018 and we never got into debt again because I completely changed my mindset. Well, Jenny, that's a, a super powerful story. And I love that it, it's such like an iconic story that you have. And when you're sitting there and you have that, you know, you're talking about this aha moment, this pickle moment, but then you find yourself, you know, a few years later, still racking up more debt. So some more financial missteps. I'm just curious what that kind of bridge looks like. So it seems like you had a little bit of an aha moment. You realized you needed to take control, but then you ended up, you know, again, having some of those missteps, getting yourself back into debt. What was that kind of the roller coaster between those two moments? Well, I think ultimately when I first started this journey, when you're 18, 19, you have, I didn't get any kind of like formal training in personal finance. I was the first college student in my family. My mom and dad were immigrants. So they didn't really know much about personal finance either. And they didn't really teach me anything about it. So I walked in not knowing anything. And even though at 18, 19, I didn't do really well financially, I thought, oh, well, you know what? I can fix this. But I didn't actually change the foundation. I didn't change those habits. What I did was I made quick decisions to get myself in a better place. I got remarried and we got good jobs and, you know, we had some money and we were able to get better credit cards, better promotions. I'm like, okay, everything's great. I'm making money now. So things are going to be different. And I found myself in that same hole. And it was because the habits were not changing. It's just kind of like, I always compare it to dieting. 
But it's like you temporarily change things to get the outcome you want. But if you're not changing your lifestyle, if you're not changing those habits, your mindset, it never actually changes. You'll find yourself back into those holes and back into debt sooner than you can blink an eye. It's it's all about those habits that you change. So the second time around, I realized like something habitually has to change for me to actually live a better lifestyle. So moving back to that first revelation, and I can imagine when you're 19, you're not making a whole lot of money. So you had to stick with probably frugality. It wasn't like you're going to earn this huge sum of income. Could you talk about whether or not you were working a job? Were you going towards a college education? Or what was the moment like when you had that aha pickle moment? This is actually really funny because I sometimes think about it. I'm like, I don't know how in the world I did all of this. But I was going to school full time. I was working at a bank out of all places as a teller. And I was making about $1,200 per month. And my rent was $1,150. So I have no idea how I was able to even survive for the few months that I did. But ultimately, I ended up going into payday loans and using my student loans to cover my life. And I racked up, of course, tons of credit card debt at that time. So I started to realize, okay, something something's not right here. Like I'm not making enough money. Everything that I have is going to either debt or food for the baby or whatever it is. And I'm, I'm never going to get out of this hole. But it was a crazy time because I found myself juggling so much. And I knew logically this wasn't going to work. And I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I did it. But it was because I kept maxing out my credit cards or using those payday loans, which are, as you know, a nightmare. So a lot of times people talk about things like snowballs as far as like a debt payoff, like where you're paying off small things and you know, move up to the big things. But I'm kind of curious to hear your take on this idea of debt kind of being taking on in a snowball kind of way. Like, oh, I have this one loan and then all of a sudden I can't quite pay it. So I'm taking on another one and then it just starts growing on you. As just a cautionary tale, do you have any kind of things you would like to tell people just to be cautious of when they start, you know, they take out that first loan and then all of a sudden, you know, they have to add a second one on to try to cover some things and you're pulling from one place to pay the other. I think the one thing that I could advise anyone listening right now is that if you're going to be taking on a loan to let's say consolidate. So let's say you have two credit cards, each one has a thousand dollars that you owe on it and you're going to get a third one to consolidate. You're going to put both of those balances on. Do not rack more debt because the thing that I was doing was, okay, I would get a third credit card or I'd get another loan to pay off everything. And I'm like, okay, now I got some freed up credit (laughs) and then you'd spend more money. So you find yourself in even that's how people blink. And all of a sudden they have $20,000 in debt when initially it was a $500 debt or a thousand dollar debt. I think the one thing I would say is. If you're going to consolidate using a third credit card or a third line of credit, stop adding to the debt. Find a way to stop the cycle so that all you're doing right now is you're just paying off that debt that you've consolidated and you're not adding to it. So a lot of people who are in those situations might push back. And I'd love to hear your own personal story, Gina. Like what changes did you make where you were not adding to this debt pile anymore? I'm sure you had to cut back somewhere because... You had a pretty good income, but your expenses were probably pretty close to matching that or even exceeding that income. So on a tactical level, like what were these changes that you made to increase that gap between your income and your expenses? Actually, there were a couple of things that really stood out to me when I first started. I didn't have a budget. 
And so I di- I could not tell where my spending was really lacking or where I was excessively spending. And once I started to incorporate a budget and started realizing where I was spending the most money, I realized there were three main areas that I was spending a ton of money. One was grocery shopping. And I think that was just me justifying, well, I'm not eating out that day, so I can spend more at the grocery store. And two was the restaurants. So every weekend I wanted to go Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to go eat out. And three, I have a huge obsession over shoes. (laughs) So (laughs) I would go into stores just out of boredom and I'd come out with two and three pairs of shoes that I absolutely didn't need, but they were cute. And so those three things I started to realize after I had a budget that I was excessively spending on them. And that's where I started to tweak things. So I always say that I, I try to like incorporate frugal tweaks into my lifestyle because I don't want to deprive myself to the point where I'm not enjoying my life. But what I started to do was if I go out to eat three days a week, normally I would cut that back to just one meal a week I would go out to eat. And then if I bought shoes on a you know biweekly basis, I would give myself one time per quarter to go buy my favorite pair of shoes, the ones that I couldn't stop thinking about. With groceries, I started to coupon. I started to pay attention to sales, which I never used to pay attention to. And I literally cut my bill in half the first month. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realize that that was something that was possible. And then when I did it, I realized, oh my God, I could do that with so many other things. So those three main things actually opened the door to so many other things for me to look at. And it started to become this like fun game for me where I was able to save so much more money that way. And then debt started to melt off because we were using all of that extra money that we were saving to pay off the debt. And digging into that budgeting a little bit more, I'm curious what your take is on kind of the order of operations, because you need to take a look at what you are spending. And then you're also probably trying to take and and make some goals for what you want to spend. Just walk us through that methodology, because I know there's a little bit of difference between tracking expenses and budgeting. Yeah. So I would say that I made a mistake when I first started was I idealized my budget. I made my budget so perfect and I never could stick to it because I'm like, well, ideally you should be spending $350 on groceries or you know, you should only be spending $100 on car gas or whatever it was. And it was like, okay, but none of this stuff is realistic. So I went back to the drawing board and actually started looking at my bank statements and looking at what I had spent in the quarter realistically, like how much do I actually spend on gas? How much do I actually spend on groceries? And then I started to cut back on that by 25%. Okay, can I combine these two trips together so that I can save on gas and not backtrack? Or instead of spending $200 on groceries, maybe I could find a grocery store that has a really good sale and I can get some stuff there. Or maybe go to two different grocery stores that have good deals on some stuff that I need and then figure it out instead of buying everything in one store. So I started to really do things that way to save money. But tactically speaking, it's easier for you to look at your spending and then from there cut back than it is for you to have an ideal budget and try to stick to it. And then you have to remember that a budget is a live document. So it should adjust. Just because you have something where I have $400 of groceries this month, maybe next month, I don't need $400 worth of groceries, or maybe I need 500 because people are coming over to visit or I'm entertaining more. 
So it needs to be able to be adjustable so that you don't feel like you're a failure if things don't go right. So we try to be as actionable as possible on this show, Gina. And for someone who is really, really struggling trying to get that budget together, could you talk about how you actually go about structuring your budget? Like what kind of tools do you use? What are the types of categories? Do you have a miscellaneous category or a fun spending category? Could you just talk about that a little bit so people could actually visualize what this budgeting looks like? For me, I'm really old school. I go with an Excel spreadsheet. I used to go with a paper budget before that, but I try to keep it as simple as possible because apps have just never worked for me. They do work for a lot of people though. So if you're a person who loves apps, there are so many apps out there for budgeting. For me, it's an Excel spreadsheet. But what I like to do is I have specific categories. The first category is what I call survival. So that's your rent or your mortgage, your groceries, basically your shelter, your food, everything that you as a human being needs to survive. So that's not including debt. I just I just list all of the things that I absolutely have to pay, like my utilities, my gas, my water, my electric, things like that. And then the second part of that is any debt payments, that's the second priority for me. So car loans, um, any debt that I'm trying to repay, student loans, things like that. And then the third one is extras. So that's like your cable, your Netflix, your shopping, if you're going to be eating out, your entertainment expenses, your vacation savings, whatever that is. And then, of course, I always tell my readers this, you have to incorporate some fun money because life should not be like completely boring and you don't have any fun money at all. I just don't, I don't agree with the concept of just because you're paying off debt, you should completely cut out fun because I have two girls, I have two daughters. And while we were in debt, they were young and I cannot imagine paying off debt for five years and just completely pausing their life. (laughs) I I think that would be totally unrealistic. So fun money is a crucial part of your budget because that's what's going to keep you going And it's going to make you feel like you're still enjoying life while you're progressing forward. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Like, I think when we first started, our fun money was something like 50 bucks a month. And we would just take the kids to the movies or we would pack a nice picnic and go to like the beach or something and and maybe go out for ice cream, things like that. So it doesn't have to be a ton of money, but you should have a little bit. Well, Gina, we have like a great foundation to your story. You know, we have your background. We have that aha moment. We have some of the tangible things that you did to create your budget and you're on your way. And at some point, it seems like you really, really take a hold to frugality more than just as a necessity, but you start to enjoy it. And I know like in my life, I look at the world as almost like a, it's a big scavenger hunt, right? Like you, it turns it into a game. Like you get to have fun looking for deals and finding free things. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, how frugality is more than just this necessary tool to get out of debt, but it's actually a way to make things fun and exciting. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm totally there. I'm what I call a recovering spender. And the reason why my blog's name is The Frugal Convert is I literally converted to frugality after I realized how much more my life has while I'm frugal. A lot of people think like there's these two mindsets of, oh, there's a scarcity mindset and the abundance and People always think that frugal means cheap and that you're like coming out of scarcity. And it's like, no, no, no. Frugal is about feeling like you have abundance. You have more than enough. So you don't need to go spend money on things that are unnecessary. You end up spending money on things that actually matter to you. You're more picky with what you choose to spend your money on. That's how I think of frugality. So when I first started, 
because I'm Middle Eastern, my family is very into your success should show by the things you own. So you have a nice purse, you have a nice car, you have a nice house, you live in a nice neighborhood, all those things. And so when people first started realizing, like people in my family started realizing that I'm frugal, people would always comment on (laughs) really funny and silly things. Like if I had like this really fancy like gum container, they'd be like, wait a minute, I thought you were frugal. And I'm like, I'm frugal, but I can afford $2. Like they would say (laughs) things like that. I'm like, oh my God. So for me, when I first started, the pressure of my family kind of giving me those looks of I'm being cheap or whatever at first got to me. And then the more I realized that I was being frugal, but still having a ton of fun, still saving a ton of money, I'm now debt-free We have about four years left to pay off our mortgage. And we live in Los Angeles, California. That's a huge thing. I was like, no, you know what? I don't think that frugality is something that I should be ashamed of. And so once that mindset shift happened for me and I realized I'm not being frugal, like you said, out of necessity, I'm actually enjoying my life of frugality because I'm reaping the benefits. I see the peace of mind that I get every night when I go to sleep, not worrying about bills that I have to pay. I literally forget when I get paid. Those things are an amazing benefit that I get just by being frugal. And I used to be a huge spender. So it's not like I was born frugal or that my parents are frugal or anything like that. I actually learned by living it. And then when I realized how amazing it is, that's when I started to start, like I started preaching to my friends and family, like you guys have no idea. It unlocks so much more when you're frugal. Because then you're picky with what you get to spend your money on. So I know you call yourself the frugal convert is the name of your blog, but convert doesn't exactly tell us if it was kind of like a forced thing or if you went into it completely willingly. (laughs) And in one of your posts where you talk about the five things you give up by being frugal, you talk about giving up wanting more. Was that a thing that just straight out of the gate, you're like, you know what? I don't need any more of this. I cannot imagine. Maybe, maybe it happened like that. But it sounds like it might have been more of a gradual thing where you had to kind of convince yourself that, you know what, I don't need this third pair of shoes this month or something like that. Could you talk about the whole mindset shift that happened when you did start that frugal conversion? Yeah, this is funny because when I when I was doing this, I didn't think, oh, I'm trying to be frugal. I was just trying to save money so that I could pay off debt. So yeah, I was literally, I mean, I don't even know, like, if you can imagine, I'm literally pulling myself out of the store. You do not need those pair of shoes. You do not need that handbag. Nope, you don't need to spend that $300. Like, I was literally having to talk myself into it. And at the very beginning, yeah, it's hard because someone who used to spend so frivolously and didn't really pay attention to where my money was going because I had this mindset of, well, I work hard, so I deserve to spend my money, I had to build up to it. So the first goal for me was I need to save that money. So I can't be spending $200 on shoes. I need to be using that to put towards debt or whatever. Like if we were eating out, I'm like, you know what? That $75 that we just spent, I could have spent $15 and made a really nice meal at home. And we could have used that $50 for debt. And it was little by little. And then I realized, huh, I don't care that I didn't buy those shoes. Like weeks later, I'd be like, how many times would I have even worn that pair of shoes? Because I looked at my closet and people in my family used to always tell me like, my closet was goals because my entire closet, like I had the 
his and hers closet and the his closet was all shoes. Like <laughs> I had a whole thing of shoes. And to be honest, most of those things I never wore. And so when I started to save money and not buy more shoes and start to use the shoes that I had, I started realizing, oh my God, there's things in there that I haven't used in like years that I bought maybe wore one time. And then it started to really like click for me, like, wait, I'm buying just to buy. I'm not buying because I need it or I'm not buying because there's a necessity for it. I'm just buying because it's a habit that I've been buying. So you just switch those habits and then you realize you don't really need those things and you're much happier without it. Like now I, I declutter like a monster. <laughs> like I'm always in my closet like I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this because I've realized there's so many things I don't need because there's so much more in life that is precious to me that is not material possessions. So yeah, it was a gradual change for me. But once it started to kind of like build up, I realized, wow, like there's so much more meaning to life now that I've got all this free space in my mind, in my house, in my closet. There's so much more that I could do with my time. So Gina, you've obviously like really taken hold to frugality. And I know me and Cody are both in that boat and we both live in the Boston area, which is looked at as this really high cost of living city. And so people are always like, you know, why would you want to live there? It's so expensive. I thought you were frugal, but you live in Los Angeles, California, which is also one of the most expensive places. I was wondering if you could talk about some of the pros that maybe people overlook as far as being frugal in a big city. Well, for one, there are tons of grocery stores. There are tons of retail stores. So you have a lot more options because there's such a variety of different places and merchants that you can get your things from. Also, because it is such a big metropolitan city, there are areas that are lower income where you could find things, you can go to those areas and you can find things that are much cheaper. So there are local grocery stores that tend to be a lot cheaper. Like people always talk about, like I had a post about saving money at the grocery stores and people kept saying, you must live in a rural area. And I'm like, no, I actually live in LA. But because I was saying, you know, like don't go to the Dollar Tree for two bell peppers for a dollar or something. I'm like, I could get a pound for 39 cents. And they're like, where do you get a pound of bell peppers for 39 cents? And I'm like, LA. <laughs> but <laughs> it's because the area, it's not... When they think of LA, they think Beverly Hills, they think Westwood, they think of all of these like Santa Monica, they think of these really high end places, you don't have to shop at those places. There are so many other places on the outskirts that are safe to go to, and have really good deals. So you you get a variety of merchants that make it easier for you to save money. That's one. And then two, honestly, like, Everything here, I, I don't know, I was born and raised in LA, so I don't know, I can't compare it to anywhere else. But everything here, it's not as expensive in comparison to your income. So it's all relative, depending on where you where you are. Like someone might say, okay, you're buying bread for $3 a loaf or whatever. Yeah, but I'm I'm making much more than someone who's probably in the Midwest who's probably working the same job I am. So it's all relative, but mostly like if you're going to look at it, you're going to look at, there's a huge variety here because it's so big and you have access to so much. So clearly you are completely getting fired up about frugality. I can just hear it in your voice, which is awesome. But something we haven't really touched on is you had your daughter back when you were 19 years old. Have you been communicating 
these same money lessons, this same love for frugality, are you giving those same lessons to your kids? Yes. So people judged me on this because I said, I share my budget with my kids. They don't know how much money I make or anything like that, but I share our journey with our kids. And I think it's really, really important for kids to see that ahead of time. People were like, well, you don't want them to feel like they're deprived or that you're like, you know, financially like strapped. And it's like, no, that's not it. They need to know that you're responsible for keeping a budget. So when we would go to the grocery store, I would tell them, okay, we only have, let's say, $100 to spend. And we would start like playing a game. Okay, let's calculate how much we have in our cart before we go to the cashier's. You know, like we would play these games and I have an 18 year old now, right? And she has a bank account. She has a budget. She has her first job. She's saving a lot of money. She's doing all the right things, even with her thinking about college. So this is her first year in college. She was thinking of how she can save more money. So she decided to go to a community college for the first two years because we have something in California called the Promise Program where her tuition is $7. What? So <laughs> she doesn't have to pay a lot of money. Yeah, I don't know why it's $7, but <laughs> for the first two years, if they have good grades and they go to a community college, they just pay $7 for tuition and everything else is paid for. So she's going to pay $7 a semester, so 14 bucks a year, and she gets a really good education at a really good community college, and then she can transfer to a good college when she's done with that. So she's she's been mindful about, okay, I don't want to rack up student loans. I don't want to have debt coming out of school. So she is thinking about that kind of stuff, which I'm really happy about. And I feel like the more you share with kids, they're so adaptable. They're more than, in my opinion, they learn faster than adults. So when you're teaching them at a young age, it's ingrained. I wish I had learned that kind of stuff at a young age. I probably would have been so much further along if I had. Well, it's always easy to, you know, kind of look back and wish you had done things a little earlier, but you're obviously doing super well. I mean, you've made such huge changes and you've come a long way. And I'm curious what, what the future looks like for you. So, you know, I feel like you've got a, such a good grasp on where things are. You know, you're born and raised in L.A., you're still there. Do you have like thoughts about what, as you get closer to actually retiring, like what that looks like, what your goals are for that? Yeah, so my husband and I talk about this a lot because I, I want to retire yesterday. <laughs> Not that, you know, I don't want to work, but I would love to like pursue my passion full time. And so right now our goal is in the next three to four years, we're going to just pay off the mortgage completely. Once it's paid off, I'll be stepping down from my traditional job and being able to do my own passion projects. And hopefully one day we're actually thinking of one day in the near future, maybe three to five years, we're going to start investing more into real estate. I really want to be able to leave a legacy for my kids. But for more than that, I want to be able to be financially independent where we have several streams of income. I think that's really important. So at the beginning, when we started our journey, we only had two streams of income. And one of the things that caused us to be in debt that I haven't have actually really talked about was the fact that in 2009, we had or in 2007, we bought a condo and then the housing market crashed and my husband who was in the mortgage industry lost his job. So we had very high interest adjustable rate mortgage that we were paying interest only on. He lost his job and it was just my job and I got furloughed because I was working for the state. So we had all of these things happen and now we're looking back at it and it's like 
I never want to feel like that again. I want to have a diversified income. I want to be able to not have as much risk. And so more than just budgeting and being frugal, I really want my financial plan to be much more stable. And that's only going to happen if I diversify our income. So we're working on that diligently. But our first goal is to just crank out that mortgage so we no longer have to pay it. Well, first of all, congratulations. It seems like any obstacle that gets put in front of you, Gina, you just run right over it. So that is awesome. But you mentioned passion project like twice, but you didn't mention what that passion project was. And I'm chomping at the bit, dying of curiosity, wondering what is that passion project that you want to unveil in three to five years? I love helping people. So with my blog, I help moms save money so that they could live a better life with their kids and be able to spend more time with their kids and their family. I really, really want to be able to go out and help others do that, like in person. I know it's all the digital age and I have a blog and, you know, I love that, but I also want to be able to help moms. So I've been thinking for a really long time to go into the welfare system and really help those moms out and like create a program that's designed for them to get out of welfare to be able to help their children and leave a really good legacy for them. So it's something that's kind of been in the back of my mind. I haven't started on anything yet, but it's one of those dreams that I can't wait to dive into. I know it's going to be a long road, but I really want to be able to help moms more. And for now, I mean, I'm helping a lot of people who are coming on and reading the blog and being able to use those tools and resources to get their life together financially. So there's so many other projects in my head, but that's the one that like, I cannot wait to dive into. Yeah. I mean, based on your history and all the obstacles you've overcome, I've got no doubt that we'll look back probably in shorter than three to five years and you'll have this coming along pretty well. I hope so. (laughs) Gina, I just want to say again, thank you for coming on the show. Your story is super inspiring. I know there's a lot of people out there who probably are struggling or have struggled who resonate with your story so much. So thank you for being open and sharing that with us. And if people want to continue to follow along with the story and dig a little deeper into it, where's the best place they can contact you? Well, they can go to my website, thefrugalconvert.com, but I'm also living on Instagram right now. So they can follow me there, The Frugal Convert. I share everyday life, everyday failures, because we're all human. And I help with tips and tricks and everything for the mom. Awesome. Love it. And one question we'd like to ask all of our guests is, what is your number one tip for those on the path to financial independence? I would say to take it one step at a time. A lot of times when we get into any venture, but especially with the financial venture, we we tend to be very excited. And so we want to tackle everything at once. And that just brings on a lot of overwhelm. And then we fall off and we think we're failures. And it's really about taking one small step at a time. If you've got a lot of debt, take one debt and tackle that and then work on to the next one and the next one. Because the smaller steps that you take, you're still progressing, but then you don't have that overwhelm that tends to sometimes kill it for you. Okay, Gina, you're almost out of here, but there is one last thing. It's a question that I'm not ready for, Cody's not ready for, because we haven't prepared whatsoever. Are you ready for us to ask you the wild card question? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, so you talk about being a frugal convert. So at one point in time, you know, you were just spending money on all kinds of things that today you would never do. So I want you just to tell us, what is the one thing that sticks out in your head is like, a, oh my God, I can't believe I was spending money on this. Like something that makes the frugal you shake your head. 
I have to say it would be the handbags and the wallets, like those very bougie name brand, like four or $500 handbags and wallets. I look back at that and I'm like, it's carrying my money the same way that my $20 purse is carrying my money. So <laughs> it literally makes no difference. It just has like an emblem on it. So yeah, I definitely, I look back and, you know, I think about this a lot because I say, even if I had all the money in the world, would I go back to buying those? And I totally wouldn't. I really wouldn't. Well, it seems like you're a true frugal convert, Gina, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you, having you on. Thank you for being so open, like Justin mentioned, and sharing your story. And thank you for spending time with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a fun chat. Another awesome episode, Justin, and something that you and I can't really relate to, so I'm glad we had Gina on, is we're kind of just frugal out of our nature. We have never had to convert like she has. She's the frugal convert. We've never had to convert to frugalism, but she kind of gave us an eye into someone who was buying six pairs of shoes a month and spending all this money on expensive purchases and all this fancy things that she didn't need. So I thought this was just a really great episode, and it could speak to a segment of our audience that maybe you or I don't resonate with as much. What did you think? Yeah, I completely agree. And you can tell that it was truly like a conversion because she had this moment early on in life where she had to make some changes, but it didn't really stick. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, all she needed was a little nudge or something bad to happen. And all of a sudden, you know, she would pivot into being this frugal person. At her core, she just wasn't that person. She wasn't a super frugal person. And she talks about how she had to change her mindset about what money was really for, like the value you got out of it. And she had to actually completely change all of her habits. And I think that's a really cool story, like you said, that me and you can't really tell because for us, the privilege that we have that we probably take for granted is just how easy it comes to us. Regardless of how much money we have coming in, whatever, not spending money is fun for us. Like not only is it not difficult or challenging or what may have you, it is actually something we enjoy. So to get to look through the lens of what most people deal with when they're looking at frugality, which is not something they see as fun or easy. They see it as a big challenge to get to see through that lens. That was really cool. I also love how she kind of cemented one of these things we talk about all the time, and it's how important it is to first track your expenses before you can go and try to tackle the budget thing. Because like she was saying, if you are spending a thousand dollars a month on groceries, and then you try to budget down to 200, that's probably not going to work very well. If you're taking an 80% cut from what you're normally spending, that's going to be really, really difficult for you to psychologically budget yourself into that expense category. So make sure you know where the money is going first, and then you can start to set some parameters around it. Yeah, I really don't think we could overstress that point enough. And I kick myself actually all the time because I catch myself calling it a budget when really it's more about the tracking. You know, imagine you called someone and you said you needed help getting directions to a certain place, but you couldn't tell them where you were. Like, that would be a very difficult exercise. Like, how is somebody supposed to tell you whether you should turn left or right if they don't even know what street you're on? So having that starting point is just, I mean, it's crucial. Like, nowhere in life do you ever have an idea of how you're going to get somewhere if you don't know where you are. And then I also like how she wanted to talk about how there's a lot of apps and stuff out there that can automate this. And those are all great. But when you're getting started, especially, there's just something powerful about doing it in a little more old school fashion. I mean, it doesn't have to be a notebook. It can be a Google sheet, an Excel file, but something where you're manually uh, taking it into your own hands and you're punching it in and you're seeing, you know, you get closer or further away from goals in real time. 
there's just something powerful about that. And I think it brings a little bit more reality to it than if you are disconnected from it and just letting an app do it and you check in once a month and it's like, oh, whoops, missed it. You know, obviously as you progress and you get more natural with it, it's an efficiency thing and you can let those apps take over. But, you know, when you're talking about this conversion and you're really trying to change your habits and uh, you're trying to get it to your core, I think that more involved process has a lot of value. And something, Justin, that this episode actually inspired us to do, because we do have a lot of people in the audience. Everyone might think that, you know, the five show listeners, everyone's already financially independent or a year away. But we know that there's people still struggling with budgeting, still struggling with tracking expenses. So we went and put together these two one page PDFs, a budget tracker and an expense tracker. So you guys can go and do it by hand, writing it down like Justin was just saying. You can use the mints. You can use the personal capitals. And I use both of those personally. But when you just get started out, like actually writing those things down and doing it by hand, it hurts a lot more when you go over that budget line item rather than just seeing it on the screen. So you can go to our website. You can check out the show notes. You'll see you can download. Just put your email in. We'll send you both of those PDFs for absolutely free, the budget tracker and the expense tracker. And back to the story, Justin, one thing I really liked that Gina talked about, and I know we both take full advantage of living in a big metropolitan area like Boston, was all of the added benefits to living in a large metropolitan area like LA. She was saying she has so many more choices for grocery stores, so many more choices for clothing stores. There's so many more choices for everything. And on top of that, there's all these free events going on. So I always hate when I see people who are like, how could you possibly do this and, you know, name your city? That's such a high cost of living area. And sure, it might be like the housing might be the one thing that's more expensive, but there are ways around it. You can always get a roommate. There's house hacking. There's all these different types of things that you can do to kind of mitigate that one big expense. But in my experience, and I know Justin, in your experience, all those other line items are the same or sometimes even less in a big city. Yeah, Cody, obviously agree as somebody living here in Boston on the big city thing. It's a huge misconception, especially when you factor in there's so much more earning potential in these large cities as well, which for some reason gets overlooked a lot of times. But the last thing that I wanted to highlight, which I just thought was so cool about Gina's story, is that she's looking for ways where she can come up with multiple streams of income so that she can step away from her corporate job and go into what she's calling her real passion which is developing programs to help mothers in welfare situations to take control of their own finances, like people who found themselves in that situation that she did and helped them, you know, I think she calls it becoming your own hero. So to help them do that. And I just think that's really admirable. And I wanted to give her a shout out. And now it's time for the call to action. And so today's call to action, Gina talks about having your survival budget. Like what is the minimum amount of money that you can expend each month to just survive, that you can eat, that you have a place to sleep, all the stuff that you need on a day-to-day basis or a month-to-month basis. So our challenge to you is to look at your budget, look at the things you're spending money on, decide what is your survival budget? Like what's the bare bones if the economy collapsed and you just retired last year and you have to spend the least amount of money possible? What do those numbers look like? And then start to frame your budget and add the meat on back to that. So then you can start to see some of the trade space you have when you're going to, you know, have the entertainment budget, you're going to have the eating out budget. And then you can start to understand, you can operate from a framework of, okay, if this is my minimum budget, how much over this minimum budget per month do I want to be spending on X, Y, and Z? And an exercise like this can really open your mind and show you what's possible when you start to embrace this frugality mindset. 
And if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, then you can go get all the show notes over at thefyshow.com slash convert. That's thefyshow.com slash convert. And as always, if you want to check out our Facebook group page, you can do so at thefyshow.com slash community. And we always appreciate those five-star reviews. They help us get great guests like we had today. And if you're interested in supporting The Fi Show, you can do so by checking out some of our partners over at the resources page, which can be found at thefyshow.com slash resources. And thanks for listening. <laughs>